It's good to see you all here. You glad to be back? Okay, this row is glad to be back. Are you guys glad to be back? Yeah, good, I, good, I like that, I like that. And it's good to have you joining with us online, wherever you are. Thanks for being here with us this evening. We're so glad that you come and are, are with us. Hey, listen, we're in the middle of a series, if you're not aware. What's the series called? There you go, Things Jesus Never Said. And you're like, well, why would you do a series like that? Well, we do it because, you know, there's so much misinformation that's out there that uh, we got to make sure that, that we don't hear and believe something that Jesus did not say, right? Okay, well, listen, for instance, Jesus never said, you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Did he? I don't think so. Listen, I have a question for you. Who here has ever gotten a speeding ticket or a parking ticket? Speeding ticket or a parking ticket? All right, I see quite a few hands. All right, and the rest of you are liars. Um, all right, all right. So here's the question I have for you. Is it, did you deserve that speeding or parking ticket? Turn to your neighbor and explain why or why not you deserve to get that speeding or parking ticket. I'll give you 45 seconds. Go. Did you deserve to get it? No tickets for you guys. All right, well, it seems like there's a lot of deserving people out there. Gosh, tell ya. Well, listen, some of us were, were guilty, right, for about speeding or parking tickets. And in fact, there's, it's really easy to feel guilty these days, isn't it? There's a lot to feel guilty about. You can feel guilty about things that I said or things that I should have said. Right? He just talked about a marriage workshop. Um, uh, what about things I've done or things I haven't done? Or what about, uh, you know, you go to visit a place and who here visits a place and you pull out your COVID tracer app every single time. Okay, there's a few people, see? See, the rest of us can feel guilty about that. Listen, there's food guilt, right, of eating too much or not eating the right foods. There's parenting guilt, oh my gosh, not doing enough for the kids, not spending enough time with them, maybe yelling at them. Gosh, I don't know how my kids survived my parenting, because I, I really don't, because I made plenty of mistakes. What about Christian guilt? You don't pray enough, you don't serve enough. Uh, maybe I lost my version Bible reading streak, which, per <laughs> right, perish the thought, which I do. Oh, let's see a few guilty heads there. Yeah, oh no, uh, right? Gosh, what, what, what about, you know, general guilt, right? Like you, you, you might let somebody down, you can't say no, so you say a guilty yes. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, yeah. Guilty when you fail, guilty when you succeed. Oh my gosh, you can feel guilty working too hard. Maybe you betrayed a friend and you're feeling bad about that. And you can't shake the guilt of that. Or let's say you, you know, you're supposed to love your spouse or, I don't know, be kind to your boyfriend or girlfriend, and then you hurt them. Maybe you're mean to them, and you feel like you let them down. You feel guilty about maybe your Instagram presents a false image of who you really are. No, that would not happen to any of us, right? Maybe you struggle with porn or some other addiction, and you feel guilty about that. Uh, you know what? And then, of course, there's pastor guilt. Yes, there is, believe it or not, right? And so pastor, you know what pastor guilt looks like? There's like a hundred and one things that I should or shouldn't be doing, right? And I might feel guilty about that. Uh, or what if I hurt somebody or let them down? There's plenty of opportunity for that. 
Well, listen, we're going to look in the Bible tonight at somebody who he was convinced that he got what he deserved. He was convinced of that. So if you have your Bible, you, you got your version app, or you actually have a paper Bible, which is amazing. Turn to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, all right? And um, by this point in the story of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been arrested, he's been tried, he's been flogged, and he's being led out to his execution. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 32 and 33. should be up on the screen. So two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Now listen, death by crucifixion, it was reserved for slaves and for the worst criminals in the society. It was the most horrible form of death. In fact, for the Jews, it was a curse. So it took it one step further in terms of the spiritual dimension if you were a Jewish person, like the absolute worst thing that could happen. And you were stripped naked and you were hanging in shame. You know, we have Renaissance and Middle Ages art, which has Jesus not naked, but actually... Jesus was most likely on a cross completely stark naked because that was part of the unbelievable, shameful experience of being crucified. And part of being nailed to the cross had these spikes that were about 17 centimeters long, if you can imagine that. And people died by asphyxiation as your lungs slowly filled up with liquid. It was the most horrible, unbelievably bad way to die. In fact, it was so terrible that as an act of mercy, they would break the legs of the people on the crosses to speed things up. And with the two criminals mentioned here, we don't know why they were crucified. We don't know what crimes they committed uh, that caused them to be put up on those crosses. And we haven't read the verses out loud tonight, but Jesus is mocked and he's even spat on. And yet Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Incredible. Now we're going to jump to Luke in 23, verses 38 and 39. 38 and 39. There was a written notice above him, Jesus, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves and us. Notice the arrogance and the defiance of this one criminal. He's convinced he does not deserve to be up there on that cross. He wants to make sure that we all know that. He doesn't fear God and he clearly has no need for a savior. But let's carry on, verses 40 and 41. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. All right, help me finish these common phrases. What goes around, comes around. Your past will come back to haunt you. There you go. If you make your bed, you got to... Lying in it, right? Those are all different ways of saying you get what you, that's exactly right. Well, you know, last year, my wife Karen and I, we were uh, driving over to Hamilton, and we were on that stretch next to Lake Carapio, that nice long stretch. And this guy went just shooting by us. He's probably going like 140K, all right? And then moments later, we saw the, the red and blue flashing lights. And of course, we drove by, and we see this guy getting the speeding ticket. Right? What do you think we thought? That, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, man, did he deserve that. 
And it's such a great feeling, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But of course, I would never want that feeling. Uh, I, you know, I would never get a ticket like that by any police people. But in fact, you guys, this whole theme that we're talking about, it's a huge theme of the movies, this idea that the bad guy get, gets what he deserves. Is that right? Yeah. Think about the Marvel movies, right? 11 years, 23 movies. And uh, what happens in the end? Spoiler alert, right? The bad guy gets what he deserves. All right? That's it. All right, we got one Marvel fan over there. All right? So back to our text, verses 40 to 42. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We heard this a moment ago. We're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your... Into what? Into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, notice what Jesus didn't say. What didn't he say? He didn't say, it's too late, mate. It's too late. You're definitely getting what you deserve. In fact, you deserve hell, and that's where you're going. Could Jesus have said that? He absolutely could have said that. But notice he didn't say that. Now, think about this thief. Think about the things that the thief couldn't do, right? He couldn't turn over a new leaf. He couldn't do any good deeds. He couldn't go to church, right? He couldn't do anything in any way really to help his cause. And in what is surely one of the most incredible, mind-boggling acts of divine grace, what does Jesus do? Jesus does this. In verse 43, what does Jesus say? He says, Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me. Where? In paradise. Now, you guys, this is absolutely and totally astounding. It is astounding. This thief, this man with no name, who hadn't followed Jesus, he had no doctrine, he had no theology, he didn't even say the sinner's prayer. Somehow, some way, he believed that Jesus was a king and that he had a kingdom. And that this kingdom was for people like him. This man becomes the very first person to experience paradise with Jesus. You know what I have to say about that? Wow. That's what I say. He becomes the very first person in the Bible that's recorded. All of Jewish history, in fact, all of human history is building towards this moment, this huge crescendo of a moment, this the climax of history when God became one of us and he takes our place on a Roman cross. Jesus would perfectly represent God and humanity. He dies this death on the cross in our place. Like it says in 1 Peter 3, verses 18, verse 18, he died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus ends the old covenant with its focus on law and punishment. And he brings in a new covenant. That what's it based on? It's based on grace and truth and love. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, that shed blood is going to change humanity. It's going to change history. 
What else is it going to change? It's going to change eternity. And in God's limitless wisdom and genius, which human being will be the first to experience this amazing grace that changes sinners into saints? Surely it's going to be one of the 12 disciples. Why would I say that? Because they left everything to follow Jesus. In fact, Peter himself says that. Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Right? So surely one of them is going to get to be this person that experiences this. Maybe it's going to be Mary, the mother of Jesus. Right? Who, look what she endured and went through for those three years. In fact, she stuck to Jesus right there till the very end. Maybe it's going to be her. No, in fact, what is it? It becomes the most unlikely person. It's this man, this thief. He becomes the very first person to experience this amazing divine grace. But I can hear what you're saying. You're saying, hang on a second. That's just grossly unfair, isn't it? It is both unfair and it's unjust. This guy was guilty, and he deserved punishment, didn't he? Did he? Well, the Romans thought he did. But he'd done nothing. He'd done not one thing to deserve any kindness from God. And that's the whole point, you guys. Luke records this incredible moment. It's so easy to overlook it in this story. But not for Luke. You have a broken and contrite man hoping a crucified king has hope for him. You have a guilty man next to the sacrificial lamb of God. You have a, a saint next to the Savior. Luke wants us to see that, but it's easy to miss it. And you see, it's because in Jesus' kingdom, mercy is we don't get the bad that we deserve. But what is grace? Grace is we get the good that we don't deserve, right? That's what it is. We were just singing about it a moment ago. And you know, when I was a little boy, I was taught that, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Right? Anybody else have that? Yeah, a few hands there. That's what I was taught. But you know what, you guys? Grace is God's crazy, over-the-top generosity in giving me what I don't deserve and a whole heap more than that. It's just incredible what God's grace is like. Now, you know what it's like? And this is showing my age, but I still like Bono anyway. Bono puts it like this. Bono says, I'd be in deep trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. I'd be in deep, well, uh, feces, I suppose. Could put it there. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. What Bono is saying is this, is that we're not here because we're good. We're here because what? Because God is good. That's why we're here. And the Apostle Paul, he puts it in a different way, in his own special way in Ephesians chapter 2. Which I, I love these verses, and it might be familiar to some of you, but we're going to listen to them anyway. Ephesians 2, and start with, with verse 3. In the past, 
All of us live like them. Them are the people that don't know God, trying to please our sinful selves and doing all the things our bodies and minds wanted. We should have suffered God's anger because we were sinful by nature. We were the same as all other people. But God's mercy is great. And what does the next line say? Can you read it with me? And He loved us very much. Though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, He gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's? There you go. Verses 8 and 9. You've been saved by grace through believing. You did not save yourselves. It was a gift from God. It was not the result of your own efforts, so you cannot brag about it. How's that? You cannot brag about it. Now, some of you here know me and my story, and some of you don't. Well, I, I, I didn't grow up in South Africa, right? Um, or even in the bottom of New Zealand. Where did I grow up? Yep, I grew up in the USA. My parents were, were Christian missionaries. They were home missionaries, and uh, they devoted their life to telling people about Jesus, particularly my dad. And so I, it was in this environment where I constantly and relentlessly heard the, the gospel story and about the Bible. And in fact, I had to memorize the Bible from the time I was a little kid. Imagine that. Pretty sad life, isn't it? And, um, and, and, and so by the time I got to be a teenager, I knew the Christian thing. Okay, I knew it. But by the time I got to be 16, I had become very self-centered and very selfish and one of the things I did was, because of my upbringing, I, I could pretend to be a Christian. And so that's what I did. I could say the right things. I could quote Bible verses. I could say the Christian words and phrases. But in fact, I was just a complete phony. Now, that's pretty bad. But then, at the same time, I began uh, wagging school. And I know none of you here would do that. Um, but I got a bit bored in school, and so the classes that I liked, I'd go to. And the classes I didn't like, what happened? I didn't go to those classes. Okay? Now, I know there's people laughing. You wouldn't have done that, I'm sure. But here's the thing with that. I, in order to do that, I had to lie to my teachers. Right? I had to find ways to, to cover up why I wasn't in class. And then I had to lie to my parents. And so then I got this whole dynamic going where I'm lying to my teachers and I'm lying to my parents. And that, that just snowballed, right? where just your, the lying just grew and grew and grew and grew. And so I was just living this, this life of a lie. And, and my, with my brain, of course, it really does your brain in, doesn't it? Because you've got to keep track of all that stuff. Um, and then the few classes that I went to, I did pretty good in them. And so my friends said, Eric, could you cheat for us? I was like, oh, cheat for you. What's in it for me? Right? And, um, and so I would get some test answers to some of my friends. Now, I know none of you here would ever do that, all right? But that's what I did, and it was, it was a, a very bad thing. So here I am. I'm lying to teachers. I'm lying to my parents. I'm cheating in school. I'm wagging school. I have the school counselor saying, gosh, what's wrong with this kid, man? Um, he's, he's in real trouble. And in fact, by the time I was 18, I was intensely selfish. I was proud. I was deceived. I was very confused when I finished high school. But you know what happened, the best part of the story? Jesus came to me one night in a, in a place in, in the trees, actually the redwood trees of Santa Cruz Mountains. Uh, this is very unexpected because I wasn't looking for God. And Jesus just went boom and he just zapped me. 
And I was suddenly aware of my sinfulness, my pride, my arrogance, my rebellion. I saw in front of me all these sins that I'd committed, all the lies, and, and, the, and it was all there. I was overwhelmed with my own guilt. Simultaneously, I felt Jesus' overpowering love and his, his, his forgiveness. And I asked Jesus if he'd give me another chance. And I felt this huge weight of guilt lift off of me, you guys. It was absolutely amazing. It was life-changing. That's when my life changed. And Jesus put me on this whole new path, this whole path of following him and obeying him that brought me to where? Brought me to standing right here on this podium this evening. Jesus transformed me, you guys, by his grace and by his forgiveness. His grace and his forgiveness. You think of Psalm 103, verses 10 to 12. He, God, has not punished us as our sins should be punished. He's not repaid us for the evil we have done. As high as the skies above the earth, so great is his love for those who respect him. He's taken our sins away from us as far as what? Yeah, in the ancient world, that was as far as you could get, all right? It was just a way of saying that, that God just takes our sins and he just removes them. One of my favorite verses, 1 John 1, verse 9, it'll be up on the screen. Can, those of you who can, are happy to read it out, read it out loud with me. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. Now, here's a question I have for you and a question that I have people that ask me. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Have you heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Why, why, why do bad things happen to good people? We well, know you guys, that's only ever happened one time. One time. And why is that? That's because it was one person, Jesus, who qualified to be a good person, and he volunteered in our place to die on a cross in our place. And he's the one and only person that ever answers that question. And why is that? It's because the scripture says that we are all sinners. We have all sinned against God. And the ground is level at the foot of the cross because we're all in the same boat. We're all in, in, in need of a savior. All right? And therefore, what's so amazing about Jesus and the good news is what? What's so amazing is that you don't get what you deserve, that I don't get what I deserve. Is that good news? It is really good news. You guys, it's fantastic news for us. It's great news. Now listen, earlier in the gospel of Luke, Luke tells us a story about another man, a lost man. This was a man who defamed and shamed his father. He demanded his inheritance, and he just took off, and he just lived his own way. It's a well-known story for us, isn't it? What did, that, what did that guy do? He spent his dad's money on sex and partying. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a very familiar story to us. But maybe you've never connected these two stories in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 15, or the one I just mentioned, and Luke 23, this thief on the cross. One's a lost rebel. And one is a lost thief. And Luke describes this waiting father, doesn't he? Waiting for this son to come back. It's such a beautiful picture. And what does the father do? He gets up and he runs. And then what does he do next? Those of us that know the story. 
What does he do? He throws his arms around his son. And you guys, it's incredible. It's what God does for us when we feel guilty and ashamed and lost. And why is that? We don't get what we deserve. And that's the whole theme of the Gospel of Luke. Luke wants us to hear it over and over and over, that we do not get what we deserve. In fact, right here at the very end of the story with Jesus on the cross, there's a man next to him who is aware of that. And I think about Jesus being next to this man. You know, Jesus looks into his heart, and he knows that this guy, he's contrite, this guy is guilty, and he's lost, and he knows that he's lost, doesn't he? He knows that. And he knows that he has no hope. But Jesus looks into his heart, and he sees that this man is sincere. He's genuine. And, you know, knowing Jesus and knowing the Father, can't you believe that Jesus there on the cross, what would he want to do? What would he want to do? He would want to reach his arms out and do what with this man? He'd want to hug the man. Just like the father runs to the son and hugs the son and welcomes him back. Well, would you just stand up with me where you are? Just stand there. I want you to stand up and just close your eyes. Just stand up and close your eyes. And obviously people online over to you. I want you to think about the same day when Jesus and that man were reunited in eternity. The same day, because Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Reunited in eternity. Can't you just picture Jesus throwing his arms around this man and saying, welcome home, welcome home. And so, you know, there might be people here tonight, might be people watching online, that you're struggling with something. You're struggling with guilt or with shame, or maybe you're feeling lost and away from God. And this is an opportunity for you to respond to God. And so I want to invite you to reflect just for a moment on this painting, if you can put it up on the screen again, by Rembrandt of the Father welcoming the Son back home. Let's go ahead and sit back down now. Let's just sit quietly for a moment in the quiet. And I want to invite you to respond to God. Is there anything going on in your life or do you need to respond to God's offer to you? God reaching out to you. God longing to bring forgiveness. Longing to bring healing. Longing to lift a burden of guilt off of you. Let's just sit in that for a moment, and then the band's going to come out. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. My invitation to each of us here tonight is to not leave this room if there's, if there's something going on for you. Confess it to God. Maybe talk to a friend or one of us. We'd love to pray with you. We want you to know and experience God's amazing grace this evening.